Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus. Amen. It can be pretty easy to get lost in all the metaphors that Paul strings together in this portion of his letter to the church in Thessalonica. And just listen to some of these together. Thieves, pregnant women, sobriety, wearing armor, being children of light. It's a lot of different metaphors that don't easily overlap maybe in our minds. But rather than wading into all of these images today, I want to offer some context for the letter and how a few of these images might strike Paul's hearers, and therefore how we might better discern our life in Christ in the world today. Thessalonica was a Roman city and the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. Many retired soldiers lived in Thessalonica, along with various Greeks and Jews. And the area was so thoroughly Roman that they didn't have to pay any tribute taxes to the Roman Empire. Also, archaeologists have discovered that there was an imperial temple in Thessalonica. Imperial temple means a temple set up for the worship of Caesar. Caesar was one of the many gods. Paul had been in Thessalonica for a brief time in the story of Acts. We hear about this. It's in Thessalonica that Paul and his companions are accused of treason, treason against Caesar. And what are they doing that is treasonous? They're claiming there's another king. That's it. Another king besides Caesar. A mob is formed and they storm the house of a guy named Jason looking for Paul and Silas. They don't find him. But Jason and the others are brought before the politarchs and forced to post bond. This is the context that Paul is writing into as he writes this letter. And in this letter today, we hear Paul use this phrase, peace and safety. Peace and safety. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly. This phrasing, peace and safety, is something that the emperors claimed that they had accomplished for the people by their military exploits, through violence and through destruction, crushing the barbarian forces, crushing the other peoples around and bringing them all under Roman thumb and rule, subduing the people, bringing them under authority of Caesar and the empire. Peace and safety was a political claim made again by the emperors, a claim of the emperor that grew out of tyranny and fear. But Paul says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly. Paul claims that this approach to power and rule, this approach to relating to humanity, is one that ironically will be brought to destruction. It cannot stand in God's kingdom on the earth, and it cannot remain when the authority of Jesus, the real king, is finally and fully revealed. But the destruction that God brings is somehow categorically different than the destruction that Rome brought in order to bring peace and safety. Because in the very same breath that Paul mentions destruction, he starts talking about pregnancy. The sudden onset of painful contractions in childbirth. This destruction somehow has the opposite effect of military conquest because whatever this destruction is that God is bringing, it's somehow going to bring the birth of new life 
for Paul's imagination. Jesus is not like Caesar. The kingdom of God isn't like the empire of Rome. The outcomes that they are both working towards are vastly different, and the way of bringing about those outcomes is vastly different. God's whole MO, right? God's whole mission objective is rescue. It's to put an end to all the deceptive and violent ways of bringing about peace and safety. Because when people bring peace and safety in a way that is good in their own eyes, it is generally destructive. This is the issue back in Genesis 3. Humans making choices of what is good in their own eyes. Maybe working towards an end that seems good, but bringing destruction nonetheless. God is going to show up and put an end to all the ways that people try to establish order on the backs of or at the oppression of others. God's goal, even somehow in this destruction, is to bring life. When Jesus, the real king, shows up, the true ruler of heaven and earth, our rescue that he has claimed us for will finally take place in all its fullness. A rescue that belongs, as Paul says, to both those who are alive in Christ and those who are dead in him. Because whether we are alive or whether we are dead in Christ, as Paul talks about in this and the previous chapter, we all need to be rescued still from violence and death. Those who have died need to be rescued by being raised from the dead. Again, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. We who are alive, we need to be rescued from the reality and dangers of death and its conquest, as well as the separation that it brings when it rips apart humans from one another. This, Paul claims, this is what we've been appointed for. This is what we have been claimed for by God for salvation, for rescue, So that whether we live or whether we die, we will live together with him when he brings the full rescue from death. And as different as Jesus is from Caesar, for instance, and as different as God's kingdom is from Rome, so our lives today are to be different. Notice, Paul again is writing to a highly Roman area, a place with a lot of retired Roman soldiers, and Paul says, put on armor, put on that armor. But this armor is diametrically opposed to the armor of Rome and its war and violence. Paul says, put on armor and fight, but you fight through faith. You fight through love, and you fight by hope, because faith, love, and hope are the armor that Paul describes in this passage. What does it mean to wear that armor? What does it mean to be vigilant and prepared for Jesus to return? What does it mean to wear that armor? It means to be trusting in the promise of God in Christ. Trusting that there is only one king, one power, one authority, and that one we know is only the Lord Jesus. All other claims to power and authority are penultimate not ultimate. We do not put our trust in other claims to peace and safety that people are bringing. We do not trust that violence is a means to some better end, but that violence is opposed, diametrically opposed to God's good end goal of abundant life. We take up a stance of readiness by wearing the armor of love, love for our neighbor, love even for our enemy. 
This means we follow the way of Jesus, not through retaliation, not through demeaning, not through cheering on the violence of one against another, but taking up the way of Jesus in the Spirit. And instead, take up words of service and behave like servants for all, again, even those we classify as enemy. And we take an active stance of vigilance, not by getting them before they get us, not by believing and trusting that somehow the world really is a dog-eat-dog world out there and we better find our way in that way, but rather by the armor of hope. That we anticipate that Jesus will bring new life. New life will abound where once only death has reigned with its power. We long for and anticipate the day when the dead will rise. Because Jesus, the resurrected king, will have returned. And all will be made new. Our life together as the church, as a community of faith, is meant to be forged together by the spirit in this way of trust love, and hope. This is what we are about. This is what we are supposed to be devoted to because we are first and foremost devoted to Jesus. And this, as Paul puts it, is what we are to encourage one another to do throughout our entire lives together. Faith, love, and hope. I give thanks to God for this congregation I give thanks to God that this is what we have been up to. This is what we are up to still today. And I pray that it's what we stay devoted to as we continue to walk into the future together each day. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.